You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today we're going to talk about a few gun-related issues, and I found one that's not gun-related only because it probably took place in Canada. <laughs> well, it would be gun-related if it were in, say, Georgia or... Well, I would hope not, Florida, but still. Or, uh, well... Apparently, yeah, well. <laughs> enforcing in Canada, they have a strict lockdown policy in effect right now, and you're not allowed to visit anybody else's house. And apparently, there were six people, six whole people, gathering on New Year's Eve in a, a place just outside of Montreal. And they had a group of these six people, and a neighbor called the police on these people because they had a gathering of six people, which is illegal in Canada. So the police showed up to bust up this this uh, this mob of six people. <laughs> Hey, they won't. Bu- I guarantee they wouldn't bust up a burn loot murder crowd. But they'll, maybe they'll not. Bust up six people. But they were notified about the uh, the violation, and the residents were a group of six people gathered to celebrate. Triggered the police to arrive just before midnight to confront the residents, which precipitated in a brawl. <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> you go arrest drunk people on New Year's Eve, and you yeah. don't expect to have resistance. There's going to be a fight. Oh, and they had part of the incident caught on video, which, of course, went viral, and I don't have that here. But, I mean, Quebec, Quebec is currently in lockdown, meaning visitors from another address are not permitted inside people's homes at the moment. But you know what? They can do this. They're socialists. Yes. They, they they have a document that says, we're the government. We can do with you what we right. please. Right. And it's funny because it's funny because a lot of liberals try and push us toward the Canadian oh, side of things. That. They want socialism. Today's, they want Canadian. Oh, the Canadians oh, are like God. a perfect vision yeah. of what they want. Today's Democrat Party wants nothing but control, and they want that kind of control, socialism, Marxism. The United States Constitution is the biggest impediment to the Democrat Party. <laughs> it seems like it, doesn't it? Uh, it's the last thing around. they want to obey. Yeah, but it's funny because I thought about this and I thought, imagine if they had done this somewhere in the United States, mm-hmm. and people were a little drunk on New Year's Eve. You know, <laughs> would this have precipitated an armed response from somebody? Depends on what state they were in, right? And could you imagine having an, an armed confrontation with police over a New Year's Eve gathering? Oh my God, that would be just—it would be almost comical as long as nobody got hurt. As long as nobody got hurt, yeah. But it's just, you know, it's funny that they actually went to arrest these people or going to break this party up because they had had six people together. There were people from another residence in this wow. in this house. That's just crazy. And, of course, they said the owner of the house would not identify herself. She was uncooperative. And at this point, the situation just got worse because <laughs> she wouldn't present an ID. And that alone is a criminal offense in Canada, apparently. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, 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 wait. She... It's a criminal offense not to show your ID. To not show your ID is a criminal offense in Canada. Okay, can we bring that here so it's a criminal offense to vote without your ID? That would be, you know. <laughs> now, that's a Canadian rule I could go for. I always wondered, if you can just get a ballot in the mail and vote by mail, why don't you just send guns through the mail? Exactly. You know, yeah, I mean, it's right. first amendment. If, if, the, if they think the right to vote is in the Constitution, you don't need an ID to vote, then you don't need an ID then for a gun because that right is clearly spelled out. Yeah. Amen. But then the individual who was arrested in the video had assaulted the police officer, hitting him in the face a few times. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my God. Now, 
it's funny because um, he claimed the police use excessive force, adding the police cannot do what they did to us. They treated us like animals, like criminals. Well, you know, to the new <laughs> laws, I guess they are criminals. Yeah, right. But it's just it, he, he denied assaulting the officer, of course. But, you know, New Year's Eve, who knows what he remembers. Yeah, this is true, too. <laughs> memory the next day is not going to be as good. He actually probably really can say, I don't remember, and be truthful. Wow. Uh, yeah. Hey, oh, and and when the sister stepped out of the house to speak to the police, she wasn't wearing shoes or a mask. Oh, God. she was not wearing Ooh, a mask. So I'm sure that was another that was probably another yeah, that's probably another violation. Canadian violation, I'm sure. Hey, look, you got David Newsom in California who's trying to do the same thing. Now he is about a hundred thousand signatures away from a recall vote. Yes, come on, California, you could do it. And they're saying they're going to try and get three hundred thousand extra signatures to make sure oh, they, they have, have enough they to have cover to. the possible ones that are they have to disqualified. Yeah, they will disqualify some, so they've got to go over. But come on, California, you yeah. can do this. But uh, so one of the officers apparently lost his mask in the scuffle. Adding oh, that gosh, because yeah. of the urgency of what transpires, the officer had no time to put on a new one. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! This, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is crazy. And apparently, like I say, they started a brawl right there outside the house, and somebody they tried to pull one of the residents out, and then two other people ran up and tried to pull her back in yeah, and yeah. get her away from the police officers. <laughs> <laughs> now, I just want I really wonder how the police officers feel about having to do this kind of stuff. Right. You know, unfortunately, in Canada, they, they probably are fine with it. Here, yeah, they, they, they think they have this sense of superiority yeah. where people don't have the rights to do stuff. Here, here there'd be an issue. We've already seen it. We've seen um, counties outside of L.A., for instance, also in New York, outside of the boroughs in New York, where the sheriffs are saying, we're not going to enforce these ridiculous We are rules. not the mask police. Yeah. And they yep. will not enforce even the lockdown rules. They're not. They won't enforce. Right, because I mean, how can they? Well, they know. You know, anyone who, again, anyone who is a sworn allegiance to the United States Constitution, they know that the power that the Democrats are wielding right now, they they do not have the authority. To well, do. they they swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, yeah. and some of these laws they're asking them to enforce are not constitutional. Are not constitutional. So basically, they're violating their oath of office. And that's funny because you wonder how many of these law enforcement officers are looking at some of these gun laws going, that's not constitutional. We, I don't want to have to enforce that. <laughs> Would they be willing to stand back and say, oh, no, that's not legal. I swore to uphold the Constitution. Yeah. That's where I draw the line. I think that's going to happen more and more. Uh, I, I think, I but think only in, in certain places. Certain places, it's got other be, places. Uh, people are going to yeah. go. I was just following orders. They're yeah. going to use the old Nazi yeah, yeah, commander. Yeah, I'm doing you know, I'm doing what I'm told. Your, your cities are screwed. It's going to be the areas that are far outside the city, or states like Montana, or states like Montana that are considering. They're, they're looking at a bill that's going to block all gun bans. On the federal, they're trying to block federal gun bans from taking effect in Montana. You know, they're not the only ones. South Dakota is also working on bills to negate any. And Missouri is doing the same thing. But you know, because this is this is this this bill was pending because of the HR one twenty seven, which Sheila Jackson Lee, the cowboy congresswoman, decided to put through. You know, wearing that cowboy hat, she should be. That's nah, ridiculous. If you're going to be a cowboy. Be a cowboy. Carry a gun. Right. She should not be allowed to wear, <laughs> wear a cowboy, a cowboy hat. hat. Yeah. She she she's. You know, isn't that cultural appropriation? I believe that is cultural appropriation, Roger. That and she, that, should, she should be that should she, she should be should scolded cease for that and dismiss immediately. <laughs> 
<laughs> Cease and desist. Stop wearing that hat. Wearing that you're hat. you're appropriating uh, a southwestern redneck culture. culture. <laughs> That's right. And you are not a you're, cow person. You're appropriating a red-blooded, a freedom-loving, liberty-loving American culture. But, you know. But, you know, but Montana was concerned because they see both houses, House and Senate, controlled by the Democrats and a Democrat president. And Biden, who has been known to push gun control laws that are illegal, he passed a crime bill in 1994. Uh, He's put more black folks in jail than maybe close to what Kami Harris has put. But this but this measure they got would would prohibit local law enforcement agents from enforcing federal bans on firearms and ammunition. Mm. And they said that it would be protect the Second Amendment from stiffer gun control laws. Now, the thing about the problem with this is that, you know, you can have these state laws, but unless the states are willing to stand up and keep federal officers from enforcing these laws, there's really nothing that they can do. I mean, if the federal officers come in and they're not going to stop them or fight back against saying, no, no, we're not going to let you take this guy out of the state because he was not, he was protected by our state law. law. It's going to come down to a matter of state law versus federal law. Well, we're going to learn real quick and, and we'll see where the Supreme Court falls on this, but I got a feeling that we're headed between now and 2022. We're going to be headed to uh, where states like Montana, like South Dakota, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Georgia, hopefully. Uh, hopefully. Tennessee, Florida. <laughs> we're purple now, you know. Right now. We're, <laughs> but we're going to run into somewhere. These states are going to assert their state Well, they've rights. already done it with the marijuana. Um, yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. They you know, the DEA has not arrested anybody in any state that has legalized or decriminalized right. marijuana. Right. So they're selectively enforcing they're, federal laws. They're very much selectively enforcing, but you also got to look. The drug thing is more of a liberal type issue, so or a so they don't care Democrat to enforce it, yeah, because they use that to fool people into their socialism, uh, right? Because so then they don't, they're not going to enforce, yeah. Because when you're stoned, you don't really care, exactly. <laughs> so I've heard you don't know what's happening to you. That's right. Um, but yeah, you know, but it, it's going to come more though. There's going to be more cases of these states. Uh, exercising their state rights, and, uh, and it's going to end up in the Supreme Court. And well, then maybe we'll get back to... Well, the author here was saying that it's not a nullification of federal gun control control laws, because even within the state, if you have an AR-15 that becomes illegal under a new gun control law, you're exempt. If you're in Montana, no. It means that you can't be arrested in the state of Montana by the local authorities. They will not enforce that law. But federal authorities can enforce those off they want to come get them if they want to start making an example of somebody hey look don't put it past the democrats it was the democrat party that sent uh federal agents armed to the teeth to pull a child out of a closet you remember that oh yeah gonzalez yeah elian gonzalez that was under Clinton. Under Bill Clinton and the Democrats. And they're worried about people in cages, which worried. Obama built. Yeah. They want to... Or no, who built the cages? Obama Clinton. built the cages. Obama built... Okay, yeah. Obama built the cages, um, and they put kids in them. Or the so-called and they bl- And they blame Trump for that. Yep, they blame Trump for it. And, you know, when Trump was still president, they were detention camps, cages... And as soon as he left office, they didn't change a darn thing down there with with where the kids are. In the way they were doing it, but yeah. Now they're called. Um, oh, that's just. But a now Biden's side. Biden is still <laughs> running cages. Yeah, they didn't change. They just changed the language. Yep. Now the media refers to them as oh, it's a holding site. Holding cell. Oh, a holding. It's, it's, oh, they don't call it a cell. A, it's a holding a site area. A, uh, this is a family get together room. You know, they'll call it all these nice, pretty words now. <laughs> uh, but nothing's changed. 
Nothing it's physically a quor- has changed. It's a quarantine changed. area. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing physically has changed. The only thing that changes is the language that they're using. Yeah. But here it, it says, you know, they can have these laws in place in the states, but it doesn't mean that uh, the ATF couldn't roll into town and arrest mm-hmm. you for having illegal firearms. Yeah. And you can they still do a lot of time in federal prison for this. Yeah. Because the state law doesn't take precedent over the federal law, it unless take over the United unless States. they let the state stop federal officers from enforcing the law in that state. Now I don't know how that would work out. I, I don't know how they can do. That. I mean, we'll see. But but like I said, what I would like, I'd like for a case to get to the Supreme Court because I want a case to be had over enumerated powers. And the Constitution is very clear on enumerated powers. It spells out what the feds can do. And very clearly what they can't do. And, and anything that is not an enumerated power is the state's power. It goes to the state. But they're not. But you know what? The states have no representation anymore. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? The senators. Isn't but now here's the, the thing. Okay. Yep. Here was a case back in 2018 where in Kansas they passed a gun law saying we're not going to abide by any federal law that infringes on our rights. So there was a couple of guys who said, well, you know. Does that mean that suppressors are okay? And the Kansas was like, sure, make whatever you want, as long as it's stamped made in Kansas and it doesn't leave the state. Right. Well, apparently the ATF decided, you know what, they saw a guy on Facebook on a video showing off his newly purchased silencer that he had just picked up that day, made in Kansas, used in Kansas, that was protected by this Kansas law, but they arrested him and the two guys who were making them anyway. Mm. So, and Kansas, I mean, they didn't stand up and try and stop this in any way. The state didn't come to their their aid. But because of the fact there was a law in place that said they were not covered, it gave them a little bit of way to say, okay, this violates the Second Amendment. You Mm -hmm. can't do this. And our state has protected us from this. But it turns out they prosecuted him anyway. Oh, yeah. And they had defense arguments that I didn't get to the Supreme Court, I don't believe, but it went to a federal court. Mm. And normally, a violation like this would require jail time, uh, fines up to $50,000. And apparently, they realized that these guys, you know, because of the law and the fact he had them made stamped in Kansas, he thought he was protected. And I guess they kind of gave him a little leeway because I think the fine ended up being like $800 and they let him go with no, go with no record no record or anything on that. So, all right, we're well, going to have to take a break. Yeah. So they realized that the state law protected them some. We're going to have to come back in a few minutes. And uh, after these messages, this is America's Web Radio. You're listening to Locked and Loaded. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking car. about anti-car insurance, I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army in fields like medical care, nice, linguistics, clean, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay It'll and incredible benefits, so you'll be taking care of too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk oh, about okay. amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. 
Hey guys, it's Minister Frankie with Shine His Light Ministries. It's getting cold outside and winter is coming. It's time to shine a little light on our friends on the street. We're collecting blankets and coats for the homeless all winter long. Please donate by going to our website at www.shinehislightministry.com or text 770-655-8055. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody. We are back. This is Locked and Loaded. I'm Roger B., and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Before we left, we were talking about state law versus federal law and the infringement that it caused on on people, basically. I mean, the state can try and protect you. So all these sanctuary cities, sanctuary counties for the Second Amendment, they really don't mean much if the federal officers, if ATF rolls into town and starts arresting people, unless the state is going to stand up for you and help protect you, which they probably will not. They'll have the law on the books, but there's nothing that they're actually going to do about it. So just because you think your county or city is a, is a Second Amendment sanctuary city or sanctuary county, be careful because federal law still takes precedent over local law, and they are probably not going to stop federal agents from enforcing the law within that county, within that city. Now, if they did or had some sort of you know prohibit, prohibiting factor that would keep federal agents from coming into town or arresting anybody on anything that they did not deem illegal, that would be a different story. But I don't know how that would pan out in court either. Because the federal courts are going to say federal law rules over state law, and the states are going to say these rights were not given to you. They are therefore ours by default, and you cannot do anything that violates the Constitution. And the Constitution clearly states the right of the citizens to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So any infringement is a violation of the Constitution, in which case states can point that out. And it would have to end up going to court at some point. And like I said, the last one we talked about was in Kansas when this happened. The feds kind of, you know, they didn't drop the ball, but they kind of let it go by the wayside and kind of gave them very mild penalties compared to what they could have done because the state law was in place. Now, it's crazy because marijuana laws apparently don't mean anything anymore because the feds are not enforcing those anywhere. So they're just selectively picking where they want to enforce laws and where they don't. And now that the the more liberal party is in control, I'm sure they're going after the guns, and they're probably going to lighten up even more on the marijuana. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if they decriminalized it nationwide. In fact, Trump was trying to get that done before he left, but the Democrats did not want him to take credit for that, which is kind of interesting because you figure – do what's best for the people, not what's best for your party or the other party or whatever. But now we're going to go to New Mexico, where they have a different problem. They are trying to pass a law, and they're calling it a storage law or um, a control law where they have to have control. It is a fence for a firearm owner authorized user to store or keep a firearm in any president premises unless this firearm is secured in a locked container or secured by a gun lock or other means such as to render the firearm inaccessible and unusable to any person other than the owner or authorized user. Now, does that mean you have to you have to have every gun you have locked up? I mean, I I assume they have some sort of carry permits available. I guess if it's on your person perhaps, you can get away with not locking it up if it's but it has to be stored. 
and the access to the firearm belonging to or controlled by the owner has to be permitted. I mean, you have to have a perm- you have to be the person that the gun belongs to. Now, the problem with this is they have something in there saying that a, a child under 12 cannot handle a firearm or use a firearm. So if you're trying to teach your kid to shoot and he's under 12 years old, you're violating the law and this would make you into a felon. Now, you know, I'm not saying all people under 12 have the responsibility or the maturity to handle a gun or learn how to use it, but a lot of them do. I've seen, there's videos, there's a girl out there, I think she's 9 or 10 years old, and she is amazing. She's running a three-gun course and just tearing it up. And in New Mexico, this would not be allowed because she's not old enough, and she would have to have six... Any minor would have to be called an authorized user if he's at least 12 and have completed a firearm safety training course just to be able to handle the weapon, not to carry it, not to own it, just to be able to use it. He would have to complete a firearm safety course, which is not probably the worst thing in the world. I mean, it's probably a good idea to have this, but to force it by law, that's things are going to get tricky there because, you know, who's to say that – a father or a mother wouldn't teach their children better than a firearm safety class. And you could become a criminal just for taking your child to go shooting if they had not had some sort of certificate of having been in a formal class. So this is going to get, this is going to get, if this bill goes through, it's not been passed yet, but it's, it's, it's on its way. And I think more and more states are going to try and limit minor contact with firearms because they want to eliminate the next generation coming up from being accustomed to using firearms. They want to stop them from becoming a firearms generation. So it may be the generation coming up now that's over 18 or over 21, they may be the last ones to have free access to weapons or be able to have a gun without having some sort of formal state training. Or in Sheila Jackson Lee's case, in the case of HIL 127, you have to get a permit and buy $800 worth of insurance every year just to own a weapon. But in fact, in New York, they have that. You have to pay three or four, I think it's $400 now and fill out a 60-page application just to be able to purchase a handgun. Now, tell me how paying a $400 fee is not an infringement of somebody's right to keep and bear arms. But this is being challenged in the courts now because they're saying that's a tax on a right, and you can't have that. Imagine having a poll tax. You have to pay $20 to vote. Yeah, people would be up in arms about that. Oh, we have a right to vote. Well, you have a right to keep and bear arms without infringement. It says so clearly. And yet these people are putting taxes in the way of owning a weapon, which is illegal. But the thing is, they get it through because people have become accustomed to doing it. They're not, you know, you're boiling the frog a little at a time. You're taking off a little bit of the rights every every year. You nibble a little bit more away until you don't realize what's happening. Before you know it, everything you own is illegal or you can't own a gun at all. Like in California, they keep nibbling away with this roster saying you have to have some sort of stamping on the gun, on the case that identifies the empty cartridge to a certain gun. And the technology is just not there to be able to do that. It might be, but it would be prohibitively expensive. So we're going to have to see. This can end up screwing up a lot of stuff. If you can't teach your own children how to shoot or how to use a gun or gun safety, 
that's going to be a problem. That's going to take that responsibility away from parents and give it to the state. Since when is the state responsible for taking care? They want to make the state responsible for taking care of kids. And to me, that would be a huge disservice to everybody out there. We're not a nanny state. We are not a, a police state. We should not have to do this. But it's coming. And more and more people are letting it go. They're just saying, oh, well, it seems like a good idea. We're just going to let it go. So there you go. It's coming. Now, I don't know if any I don't know who knows this or who doesn't, but on every gun that's sold in the United States, there's a tax. Well, every gun that's sold new at least, and every new gun has an 11% tax on any rifle or any shotgun and a 10% tax on any handgun, pistol, revolver. Uh, this is an excise tax is what is what it's called, and it's been in place since 1937. What was it? The, uh, the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act of 1937, most commonly known to hunters as the Pittman-Robertson Act. And it's named after the two people in Congress who passed the measure. That means that this money that's collected from firearm ownership goes directly to conservation efforts in order to keep hunting grounds open, um, to help support conservation of all game animals and game animal areas where animals live, to conserve the, the land, conserve the areas. And it has been a boom because they've raised millions of dollars every year to help with conservation efforts. Now, there's an effort to remove the excise tax because they're saying taxing a weapon should be illegal because it is a constitutional right. And, you know, it's one of those things where you go, you know, I see the point there. You want to remove the tax because you shouldn't be able to tax something that is a constitutional right. If it's a right, then you shouldn't have a special tax on it. Just like any other right, there's no, you don't need a permit for free speech. You don't need a permit not to house soldiers in your house by force of the government. And search and seizure rules, they are not permitted. You don't have to get a permit to avoid it. That's just how it works. Those are those are things the government cannot do. They may not, shall not make laws. Most of every of the first ten amendments start with the government shall not make laws to, and then they go into the description of it. So here it comes down to the point where is the conservation effort more important than the right to keep and bear arms without any sort of taxes. I mean, it's been in place for so long, most people don't even notice it. Now, this is what I've said before. If you're building a weapon, buy the weapon part, the receiver, the uh, the lower the lower part of an AR, buy it separately and buy the rest of your parts and put it together yourself and you will save money because you only pay excise tax on the part that is considered the gun. So that's one way around some of it. But if they eliminate it completely, it's going to raise the price of all hunting and fishing permits, and there's going to have to be money replaced from somewhere. They're going to have to get this money back in order to contribute to conservation. Because, I mean, this is millions of dollars they raise every year, especially lately. In fact, the numbers were in for January. Over 4 million NICS checks were done in January for new guns. Now, how does that compare Last year, there were 21 million checks done in a year, in 12 months. Here, they did 4 million in one month. So we're on track to double the number of checks that we had last year, more than double, if this 
holds, if this stays. Right now, it's just a matter of supply, getting the guns in. I mean, the gun supply has been pretty reasonable from what I've seen. The stores I've visited all have some some stuff there. They're not fully stocked as they were a year ago, but gun shows still have guns there. There's still plenty of stuff to be bought. Now, prices are inflated, though. I have to say that. Prices are higher than they were just a, a, a few short months ago. And I was, I was on this radio show telling everybody, now is the cheapest time in history to purchase almost any kind of gun. And then, of course, the pendulum swung back the other way, and now it's probably one of the most expensive times in history to buy guns. So keep that in mind. And the ammo shortage, from what I've read, is looks like it's going to continue, they say, for a year or more because of the backlog. And people wonder, well, where's all the ammo going? Why aren't these guys making it? And how come it's so expensive when I can find it? Well, let me tell you something. Last year, there were 8.4 million new gun owners. If those 8.4 million new gun owners bought four boxes of ammo each, that's 1.6 billion rounds of ammunition. And someone else pointed out something to me the other day that I really had not thought about. But all these new gun owners... They don't know what the price of ammo was last year because they didn't have a gun last year. So they see 9mm ammo at $50, $60 a box, and they think that's normal, so they buy it. They're still paying these ridiculously high prices because they don't know any better. You know, it's only a matter of what you get used to is what you remember. You know, I remember ammo when it was $8 a box for for 50 rounds of 9mm. In fact, I bought it last January. I picked it up from a local sporting store. It was on sale. Picked it up. Got 1,200 rounds of ammo for $8.33 a box. But now that same ammo is going for about $50 a box or more. There's some places that are getting even more than that for it. But the thing is these new shooters, they don't know any better. They don't know what prices used to be. So they think this is just how it is. They think shooting is just an expensive sport to get into, and they're – They've never seen prices any less in this or very little less. So they're kind of in a situation where they have to just decide whether they want to do it or not. We're taking a break. All right, here we go. One more break at the bottom of the hour. I'm Roger B., and this is Locked and Loaded. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show? talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio. Just email gm at americaswebradio.com, and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. And this Saturday, we got Mr. Truesdale on from the Model A Club. And that's going to be a great show. Uh, Mr. Truesdale is a... Gentleman and a scholar, and he's uh, going to be getting up at 5 o'clock to be on America's Web Radio. Last week we had a little technical difficulty called Locked Out of the Studio, and uh, couldn't believe it, but uh, it happens. So anyway, tune in Saturday morning at 8 a.m. 
Eastern Daylight Time for America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show. I think you're going to really enjoy it, particularly if you're into Model A's. So, And then the following week, we'll have the Ford Model T's on. And got some news on that, too, when you tune in, if you're a Model T lover. So, let's. Uh, we'll be back with Roger right after a little station break. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and any other gender you care to be labeled as. I'm Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Right before we left for the break, we were talking about taxes on weapons and excise taxes, and um, it's just something to consider. Would you consider it a violation of your Second Amendment rights to have an excise tax, or do you think it's a worthwhile cause to pay for conservation for hunting lands and hunting? I mean, it's been in effect since 1937, and it's been a huge success. However, as we point out on this show all the time, the Second Amendment has nothing to do with hunting. So it kind of it, it would be different if you just charged hunters for this and people who were Second Amendment enthusiasts who didn't hunt didn't have to pay it. But I, I honestly think in this situation, I don't mind paying the 10% tax to provide conservation conservation monies to help provide areas to hunt in and help uh, with animal conservation and things like this. It's a very worthwhile cause. and But some people are saying it's a violation of our rights. So you, you think about it and you decide. Now we're going to go to Kalishnikov. For those of you who don't know, Kalishnikov is a gentleman's name. Mikhail Kalishnikov, he invented the AK-47, and this company still uses his last name, although he passed away some years ago at over 90 years old. But uh, he was the inventor of the AK-47, the most prolific assault weapon in history so far. But now they're building other weapons. And one of these weapons they're building is a stylish semi-automatic 12-gauge that they call the MP-155 Ultima. Now, why would it be called the Ultima? Who knows? But they're marketing it to hipsters and Gen Z customers. Now, what could they do to make it like that? It's got a built-in camera and a built-in computer. So the gun can actually teach its users how to shoot. And now if you see this thing, if you look it up, Kalishnikov MP-155 Ultima, it looks like a Nerf gun. They have it in a multitude of colors. It's got composite stocks and composite pieces on it that make it look like a uh, – it looks very futuristic. But uh, it is unveiled, and they're calling it the gadget gun. For the Gen Z customers who can't be can't, can't bear to be without their tech for a few minutes while they're shooting, it's a semi-automatic 12 gauge, has a built-in HD video camera and computers that can teach its users how to shoot. It has a composite body external display that re- can record your every move and transmit the information to your smartphone via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. And they're planning on marketing this to younger people. Now the Kalishnikov, like I said, they they produce the AK-47 assault rifle, and they had a uh, brought out this gun to try and appeal to a younger audience. And it's going to be interesting to see who would be interested in this and who would want to have it. I guess it it, it has things like, uh, let's see, it's got the camera, the computer's got a built-in timer, shot timer, so you can keep track of hits, you can keep track of how many shots you do and how long it takes you to perform each one. So it's kind of neat. It kind of has things built in it that would actually be useful but i also wonder how shockproof this tech is i assume they've tested it pretty thoroughly 
and made sure that the recoil from a 12-gauge firing slugs or, or double-off buck is not going to affect it, and it would still be useful in years to come. But if it doesn't, if it's not useful, the gun apparently will still function without it. It's just extras that they kind of add on to it. Yeah, it's got things that can do number of shots, number of hits, time and rate of fire, and number of targets hit. It also has a built-in compass and GPS module showing the location of the weapon. When the battery runs out, the gun can be charged via USB connector mounted on the side. <laughs> so, I mean, this is an interest. It's an interesting theory. As long as, like I say, as long as it functions without being charged up, it should be fine. The estimated price of the new high-tech shotgun is 100,000 rubles, which is about $1,185. So not too bad. $1,200 for a gun that has a computer, GPS, compass, all built in it, and shot timers and stuff built in. It's going to be pretty interesting to see how that... I'd like to see one of those. I really would like to get my hands on one of those. I assume they're going to be available in the United States at some point in time, but you never quite know when. That's another thing I was going to talk about today briefly is that people, all these new gun owners out there are probably wondering about self-defense. You know, ideally take a class, learn how to shoot it, take a class where they run you through shoot houses or run you out from behind the safety of the booth at a range. If you're staying there behind the behind the range table and you're shooting at the targets, the paper targets in your one little lane... That's a good way to get the basics down. Get your grip down, get your control down, get your sight picture down. But beyond that, what if you're in your house and you have to be moving, you have to be looking for somebody who, who is broken in, or you have to look for an animal that has gotten into your house somehow, or is in your yard trying to attack your pets? You know, you're going to have to be in a situation that you're unfamiliar with. You're going to have to be moving. You can't just stand there, feet shoulder width apart, aiming the gun downrange at a piece of paper. You're going to have to be looking at a possible moving target. And people wonder, what's the best weapon to use for self-defense? Because, you know, basically you have to choose between a shotgun, a pistol, and a rifle. Now, generally speaking, a rifle is probably not the best weapon in a home defense situation because of overpenetration. Most rifles will go through several walls without stopping, so your aim has to be exact and precise. There's no room for error. And even if you hit an intruder with a rifle bullet, there's a chance it can penetrate, go through them, and into other walls or into other rooms. And that's something you'd have to be aware of using a rifle for self-defense. What's behind that wall? Is that the room where your child is sleeping? Is that a room where your wife is sleeping? You have to be aware of that and know if it was to penetrate that wall, what's on the other side of it. And also, it's going to be, you'd have to make a plan. If you have, depending on how many people you have in your house, if you have an intruder, there has to be a plan. You have to be able to contact them, tell these people what they need to do. Hide under the bed, get in the bathtub, whatever. They need a plan. Because you can't just go around and start shooting if you have other people living in your house and they're not knowing what's going on. They're going to come running out to look if they hear a weapon go off. They need to be told. They need to be trained. They need to have instruction as in what to do. Such as you hear a weapon go off or you hear me yell, intruder, get under the bed, get in the bathtub, get low to the ground and stay where you are. Or if you have a place for them to go other than that, they need to get there as quickly as possible. That would depend on where the intruder is at the time. But still, using a rifle is very difficult in a enclosed situation. First of all, a rifle is very long. It's difficult to move around corners, through doorways, and still keep an aim on something. 
You can do it. It takes a lot of training, though, and also it, it ties up both your hands. So ideally, you'll have any kind of light or laser or any kind of aiming aid on your rifle hooked to a switch that can run off by a hand switch and not have to turn it on and off with a separate hand Keep so you can keep your rifle aimed in the direction you think the threat is coming from. But again, over-penetration is a huge problem. Now, if you live in a very rural area and your threats may be more wild animals and things coming in the driveway or coming in the yard, then a rifle might be a better choice for you because a rifle will give you that extended range you need to shoot the coyote that's coming after livestock or shoot the coyote that's coming after your chickens or after your your pets. You know, that would give you the extra range you need. And, of course, you know, that that's where a rifle would really shine is for the extended range. Now, in an urban environment, I think a pistol or a shotgun would be two better choices. And a lot of people will say a shotgun is the number one home defense weapon. It's the best thing ever. And it's good. The best thing about a shotgun is the noise it makes when you rack it. Most criminals recognize that, and most of them would rather be safe and out of your house than trying to confront you while you're in your house with a loaded shotgun. (laughs) However, a shotgun also, at close range, is not going to present that scattered pattern that you would assume. You you assume you fire a shotgun and it's going to blow up to four or five feet of pattern, but that's not going to happen for probably... 30, 40, 50 feet. And most hallways and houses are maybe 10 to 15 feet long. And that shot group is going to stay relatively tight. You're going to have maybe a, a couple inches, three inches at the most, where it's going to scatter. So it's going to act like a rifle, depending on what kind of shot you use. Now, if you're using smaller shot, bird shot, that will be less likely to penetrate walls if it were to hit somebody. It's probably going to hit somebody and not penetrate through them. Now, if you're using double-op buckshot, which is, I believe it's nine pellets of 33 caliber balls fired at one time. So you're firing nine 33 caliber bullets with every pull of the trigger. And these are usually propelled at a higher speed than the smaller shot is. Now, this can go through several walls and will stay tightly patterned for probably, you know, until you get out past, you know, at least 10, 15 yards. Otherwise, you're going to have this... um this tightly wadded group of nine pellets coming at at a wall or at a person at one time. And if it makes a hit on an intruder, it's devastating. And again, if you have a rural environment, this may be a better choice too because you have extended range for you get have time for the shotgun pattern to scatter out. Now, of course, also with a shotgun, you need both hands on it most of the time. You can't fire, you can fire one handed, but it's very difficult. To be in control, you need to have both hands on it and ideally shoulder it. A lot of people have the pistol grip shotgun with no shoulder stock. And, you know, that's great if you've got a really close in area or you have a place where you can kind of shoot off the hip, but it's still more difficult than putting it on your shoulder because a shotgun is not going to scatter that much in a short distance that's what that's the misconception i think most people have they think you know you shoot it down a hallway it's going to blow up to three or four feet of pattern and hit your target chances are it's not going to do that in that small a distance and also you got to consider your home situation do you have kids there do you have a wife there a girlfriend what do you do if there's an intruder do you go try and get to your children first And then if you do get to them, you're going to guide them out of the house or out of a place where they think they're in danger. And if you can have to hold their hand with one of your hands and hold the shotgun in the other hand, it's going to be more difficult. 
That's why I truly believe a pistol is probably one of the best self-defense weapons in an in a, an urban environment. If you have a house that you want to protect, a handgun is probably the best thing. You can use it one-handed or both-handed if you ideally if you can but this way if you have an extra hand you can help guide a child out of their room you can help uh guide somebody to safety you have another hand in order to open doors to hit light switches whatever you need to do in order to clear the room clear the house and make sure that the threat is eliminated but it's just a choice you have to make and you have to do the training with whatever weapon you decide to choose so, I mean, it's it's something you have to work on, and you may want to even try several weapons to see what you're most comfortable with. All right, we're going to be right back. We're going to take a short break. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Hey, guys, it's Minister Frankie with Shine His Light Ministries. It's getting cold outside and winter is coming. It's time to shine a little light on our friends on the street. We're collecting blankets and coats for the homeless all winter long. Please donate by going to our website at www.shinehislightministry.com or text 770-655-8055. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. We're back. I'm Roger B. You've listened, you're listening to Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Right before we left for the break, we were talking about self-defense weapons and choices and how to decide which one is best for you. And I gave my opinion. However, you know, depending on your situation, you may pick something different. If you're more used to using a rifle or if you have a pistol that's chambered in a rifle caliber, this may be something you decide to pick. This is something that has become... Much more popular with the advent of pistol braces because the braces can give you some support to fire a pistol, a a rifle caliber pistol, much more easily and with much more control than you used to be able to without it. Because most of them, without it, a a large caliber pistol is just difficult to control, difficult to aim. And it would be even more difficult if you were dealing with this while trying to clear your own home or or look for an intruder or a wild animal or something like that. But with the pistol brace, it makes it much easier to control. But again, you probably need both hands on it to control it properly. While even a handgun, you should use both hands whenever you can. It is much easier to use a smaller handgun when doing exercises like this. And then another thing we want to talk about is how would you equip this handgun or this shotgun or this rifle? What do you want on it? A lot of people would say on a rifle or shotgun, put some sort of red dot sight because you're dealing with close ranges most of the time. If you're talking urban environments, it's close ranges most of the time, and you want something you can line up quickly and get a bead on, get a sight on. And especially if you're in the dark, regular iron sights are not going to show up. You're going to need something that's lit. And if you do put a red dot sight or a laser or something like that on your weapon, you're going to have to sight it in. It's going to have to be, you can't just throw it on there and expect the laser to be pointing where the gun is aiming. You're going to have to go to the range, fire some rounds, and adjust the laser to the same impact point as the the handgun or the rifle or even the shotgun. 
a shotgun a little less so, but still, if your laser if your laser sight is off by two or three feet, you're not going to hit anything, and you're going to cause extreme damage to wherever you are. Hopefully, not hurt anybody, but you know you may be blasting holes in your sheetrock all over the place. So be aware of that. Also, a lot of guys throw a flashlight on stuff, which is great. You want to be able to see what you're doing. However, you have to be aware that when you have a flashlight on, you become a target. And if your intruder is of the two-legged variety and is armed himself, you come into a room and start shining a flashlight around, it's going to be a target. You're going to be setting yourself up if he is armed to get shot. Because he's going to fire right at that flashlight, and if it's up against, if it's on a shotgun or a rifle, and it's right up against your your face, you're going to be presenting center mass to that to that criminal or that intruder. Now, on a handgun, a little bit different, but still, if you hold it out in front of you, you're going to be presenting a target. So, if you have a flashlight on a weapon, the best thing is to learn how to use it. You don't want to have it just on all the time. You want to be able to have it on, shine it around the room, and then move. But you get to see what's in the room, so you kind of know where you're going. And ideally, if you have filters on your flashlight, you run a red flashlight, and that will protect your night vision. In case there's some light in the house or there's lights on and you can see something, but it's still dim, a red light will not damage your night vision. It'll keep your night vision intact, while a white or green light will destroy your night vision and you'll have to get it back again. Once you shine a white light around the room, your eyes will take a while to get accustomed to the darkness again. But you want to kind of shut that light on and off as you go. You don't want to leave it on while you're trying to clear a room. You put it on, you shine it around. If you see a target, then you can shine it at them, ideally in their eyes, blind them, and then make your shots. And then shut it off and move. Because you don't want them being able to use that flashlight as a target to get to you. So keep that in mind. Uh, it'd be best. I would think the best situation would be a, a momentary switch, usually triggered by your thumb or forefinger on the foregrip of a shotgun or a rifle. Now on a pistol, it's, it'd be in a different place. It'd probably be on your front grip, your front grip strap, on your front grip strap, where your fingers would go on your strong hand, or you could even put it on the side of the weapon. Or on the front of the trigger guard or somewhere along the side where your your opposite thumb, other than your strong hand, will be able to get to it and turn it on and off with a momentary switch. This will give you control over the situation that you don't have if you're just holding a flashlight in your hand. Now, if you do have to hold a flashlight in your hand, there are ways to do it. If you have a small one and you have a pistol, you put it between your pinky and your ring finger. And you can lock it in there and hold the gun and actually have pretty good control over the weapon and still control the light. But it's hard to turn it on and off from that point. Also, a lot of people will hold it, hold a weapon in their strong hand and then cross the flashlight across their body. This does two things. One, it gives you some support, but you're shooting one-handed still. But it also moves the flashlight out from in front of you. What this does is if someone is shooting at the flashlight, they're not going to be aiming directly at you. You're going to give them a target away from you by a foot or so, so you can have better protection if you're fired upon. So that's something to be aware of, too. That's something that requires training, though, and you should practice with it. You have your strong hand, hold your pistol, and your weak hand goes across your arm and aims the flashlight forward. That way you present a target with the flashlight that's away from your body. 
And this just gives you a little bit of extra protection if you're going against somebody armed. Now, if the person is not armed or it's an animal or something like that, then it doesn't matter as much. Then you're not protecting yourself as much. You can leave the light on. You don't have to move it away from your body. It's going to be something that you're just going to use so you can see. But in most cases, if it's an intruder, you do not want to give them a target. You do not want to let, let them know where you are. And if you do have to turn it on and glance the room, you want to move or keep moving. Don't be standing still. You don't want to present a target because he sees the light come on and go off. He's going to shoot where the light was. Don't be there. Be moving or move as soon as it's off. Every time you do move, you shut the light off. And then when you get to a point where you're going to look again, then you turn it back on and you do a scan and you determine where you're at, where the intruder's at, if you see them or not. Because you may have to do this in several rooms to determine where somebody is. This is the type of training that you can do. A lot of ranges will offer this. It's a sort of tactical training or tactical classes or tactical events they run. There are several ranges near me where they do tactical events. Twice a month you go in. They set up a tactical shooting area with doors and windows and walls inside the range with everything down range but it still gives you a chance to walk through hallways walk through through places with walls and see openings and windows and doorways that you have to go through and you have to be prepared for this and there are different ways to do this like i don't know how many of you are familiar with pieing a room you want to go into one corner and slowly a few degrees at a time look into the room and get a lay of it. You don't want to just walk into the room and have somebody to the side of you start shooting at you. You want to walk in slowly where you can see everything first. You can get back to cover if you need to. You take it just a few a few minutes of angle at a time. You look around and you clear the room and you move to the next one. This is the kind of thing that just it requires practice because most people stand behind the range table with the little in the little stall and they shoot down range at a paper target that doesn't move. That's always the same. It's got a center. You shoot for the center, and that's it. In some of these training classes you can go to, they will give you no-shoot targets as well. I had one where they had hands painted on it that were held up like a surrender hands painted on the targets that you were not supposed to shoot. Another place had 3D targets, actual like molded dummies almost, and the hands were in the shape of – they were kind of circular hands so you could put things in the hands. You could put a Coke can, you could put a cell phone, you could put a handgun, you could put things in the hand. So you have to determine, is this a threat or is it not? Somebody walking through the hallway with a Coke in their hand is not necessarily a threat, while the same person walking through with a handgun in their hand is a threat. And you want to make sure you can identify the threat and not shoot the wrong people. Especially if you live in a house with other people, you have to be aware of where everybody is before you start shooting anything. So that's something that requires training or at least thinking about it. Think about it. If you don't have a a place to train right away or you don't have the ammo to train, think about your situation. Think about Make a plan in your head. Go through Walk through the house. I've talked about this before. Walk through your house at night with a flashlight. Practice going around corners. See where your weak spots are. See where you have the best opportunity to see the most and still maintain some sort of cover or concealment. This way you can be, you can be more familiar with the environment than anybody who's breaking in or anybody who can potentially threaten you. You will have the advantage. Always give yourself an advantage. If you find yourself in a fair fight, your tactics are terrible. You want to have every advantage possible. So 
Be aware of this when you're training and think about it. Use your brain. That's the number one weapon you have is the space between your ears. Use it to determine your plan. And make sure anyone else who lives in your house is aware of the plan. Give them a job to do. Give them a task. Give them an idea what to do and when to do it. Now, they may not be aware because if it happens in the middle of the night and everybody's sleeping and you're the only one awake, well, after the wife or girlfriend has woken you up and said, I heard a noise, go look, and you have to grab the gun and the flashlight and go see what's going on. Of course, a dog would help in this situation tremendously. They usually let you know when someone's even close by. Someone coming up the driveway, a dog will usually bark and give you a forewarning. Of course, it could be a squirrel or a possum coming up the driveway as well. So you have to be aware of that. Dogs are much less discriminatory than an alarm system or people or a doorbell would be with a video camera. So be aware of every situation. Be aware of all your advantages and look at your disadvantages. Do you have another way to get out of the house if you run across multiple intruders and you don't want to have to face them ideally or want to get them in a more open situation maybe you don't want to shoot up your own house maybe you have a way to get out and then confront them in another area or get out call the police and while they're in there hopefully the police will arrive in time catch them in your house and shut it all down you don't have to fire a shot because ideally you don't want to have to shoot anybody if you can help it it's probably you know the worst thing can possibly do is have to be forced into that situation And I know a lot of you are sitting there going, oh, hell no, I'd be shooting everybody who came in my house. I don't care who it is. I'm shooting everybody. (laughs) But trust me, you don't want to deal with the potential legal issues there, too, because you never know. Most states have castle doctrine, meaning if somebody breaks into your house, you can shoot them even if they don't present an immediate threat. Other states, they have to present an immediate threat, and you have to eliminate all possibilities of escape or evasion before you're allowed to use deadly force, which to me is ridiculous. If they're in your house forcing you out of it, there's no reason why that should happen. So know your state laws before you get into this, and know your weaknesses, know your strong points, and examine all aspects of what you're protecting and see where you need to make improvements possibly. All right, I think we're about to wrap it up today, so uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you got some information out of it. We will be back next week. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.